Good evening, brothers and sisters. I am thankful. I am thankful to be among those who have a love of the truth and a desire to please God. You know, there's a lot of people today who call themselves Christians, people that we've run into, that are actually void of a love of the truth. That's, that's, that's not me being critical. We're not critical when we say this, but it's the natural conclusion that any one of you will arrive at after speaking with these pretenders for just a few minutes. They don't have the, there's some people that call themselves Christians, but see, they don't have the ability to traffic in the kingdom realities. They can't follow along with what you're saying. They are interested in the things of God. They, they might politely listen to you, but speaking with them about Christ and eternity doesn't stir them up. It doesn't provoke a proper response to the truth. But I, I thank God, brethren, that I am up here and in the company of those who love the truth, who are called into Christ Jesus, both the seen and the unseen. There's actually a, there's a greater, there's an unseen fellowship with us now. In, in the brethren that have joined us on live stream, there could be people watching from China, from Pakistan, at a later date. It's an, there's an unseen attendance. And there's spirits of just men made perfect, and the angels, and Jesus Christ himself, all of which are united. We're all one. We all have a love of the truth. That we would pray that, that the Lord would use us to reach these sensitive souls that are out there. Tonight I want to preach this aspect of our Lord Jesus Christ and for us to consider the truth that Jesus did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Our text is found in the in the ninth chapter of Matthew. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now this is a text of scripture that is largely misrepresented today. It's used today by many so-called ministers and teachers in the church as if Jesus is not actively ministering to those who are in the church and has somehow set his affection on those who prefer to live contrary to the truth. This is how this text is handled commonly today. Jesus in this verse is often depicted as a Jesus who prefers the company of lowlifes and criminals over his own disciples who were committed to following after the things of God. It's used to undergird false concepts promoted by the institutions such as we have to make close and intimate friendships with vile people who hate Christ in order to love them into the kingdom. 
forgetting that it is written that friendship of the world is enmity with God and that whosoever desires to be a friend of the world actually makes themselves the enemy of God, James 4.4. Or they use this passage to teach that the gospel is only to be preached to the lost and not to the household of faith. Or it's used to lay burdens of guilt upon those who prefer to meet with brethren rather than going out into the community to win souls. I've heard it used to speak in a derogatory manner about those who assemble together, saying by doing so we have become unchristlike because we aren't doing what he did. And those are all gross and offensive representations of Christ. They are not sound interpretations of what this passage of Scripture is speaking of at all. These are the same people who criticize the saints for gathering, telling us that we spend too much time in the church and not enough time out there reaching the lost. They, at best, are misled by others who are certainly not sincere. For starters, you'll never hear them say these things to people who spend their time going to movies and football games. They only seem to target those who enjoy meeting together with the household of faith. Their logic is senseless. Most places that I know only meet once or twice a week for a few hours. There are 168 hours in the week. And they're telling us that our 8 to 10 hours a week is too much because they only meet for one or two. That my 5% Of the whole week is too much. And I need to cut it back to 1% or less. Did you know that we spend roughly 56 hours a week sleeping? And 21 hours a week eating? And that the average American spends a staggering 70 plus hours staring at their cell phones and television? Engrossed in mindless entertainment, politics, fantasy, covetousness and distraction and that these things are found even among the people that call themselves after Christ's name. Yet I'm supposed to cut back on our few hours of fellowship. God forbid. This actually reveals that they think entertainment and eating and sleeping more important activities than meeting together with the household of faith. Well, that sounds contrary to the scripture that admonishes us, neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. No wonder there's a tremendous amount of people today who don't know God. For in order to get anything outside of the four walls, you've got to get something inside of the four walls. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. If anything, we need to maybe perhaps meet together more or perhaps make the best of our time here when we are preaching and teaching the things conducive to sound doctrine. And the proper interpretation of this text is plainly seen in it. You see, in reality, as Jesus was sitting at meat in the house with his disciples, many publicans and sinners came. They came to him 
and they sat down with him and his disciples. And our doors are open. Come. Come and see. Come and sit down with Christ and his disciples. Jesus did not go to them. They came to him of their own accord. They heard that Jesus was there. They heard about him, I'm sure. It could have been the miracles he worked. It could have been what people were saying about him. How he never, never a man spake like this man. He doesn't teach like the scribes and Pharisees teach. How he taught with authority. To whatever the reason was, they were drawn to him. They came. They were not kin to people today who could care less about Jesus and could care less about their condition. They wanted to be with Jesus. This is what they wanted to do. They wanted to come and sit with him. After all, Jesus had already come far enough, didn't he? He had already set aside, Jesus had already set aside the prerogatives of deity. He, he was one who was, he, he didn't count it robbery to be equal with God. He became the servant of God. He took on himself the form of a servant. He humbled himself. He made himself of no reputation. You know, when Jesus came into the world, he didn't come like as a great military leader. He didn't come as like a great politician. He was like a great king of the earth. He made himself of no reputation. He, he wasn't even held, held in high esteem in like the religious community. He was, he was seen as a nobody by the scribes and Pharisees. They said, could, can anything good, can anything good come out of Galilee? He, he was of no reputation, brethren. He was born in a manger. He was a carpenter by profession. The one who made the worlds, <clears throat> that one, the one who made the worlds veiled himself in flesh. He came down to us. See, Jesus traveled the greater distance. And when he was here, he had an effect on those who were sincere, yet enslaved to sin. And it's God's manner to do this, brethren. He holds out the truth to men in a sense that it's, in, that it's right in reach. It's like right over their head. See, good, good preaching and teaching is preaching to someone just right over their head. To where the, a sincere heart will be provoked and stirred up and the, the people will reach up and grab a hold of these things. Jesus' initial preference of, of company in this passage was towards his disciples. He was eating with his disciples. In fact, everywhere Jesus went in the scripture after his baptism, except for the times that he would go away in the times of isolation, like a mountain or a desert, he was with his disciples all the way up until the end. When he was, he was with his disciples all the way up until the time he was betrayed into the hands of sinful men and the flock was scattered. If you wanted to find Jesus, there was really only a few places that you could find him. He was either teaching in the synagogue about his father's business. 
or he was in a secluded place praying and fasting, or he was with his disciples. He only taught his disciples how to pray. He taught them differently than he taught the multitudes. He spoke to the multitudes in parables, remember? But, but he expounded that, what he said to, to his disciples. And his disciples were the ones that pressed in to ask. He commanded us not to cast our pearls before the swine or to give what is holy to the dogs. And Jesus never gave the precious things of God to them either. Only the disciples were given to see these things. Only a select few apostles were there when Jesus was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. The common people didn't see that. Only his apostles. Only the disciples were in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. It was his disciples. Only the disciples were in the upper room when Jesus instituted that Last Supper. When he washed their feet. It was his disciples. Jesus was never once found at a pub or a brothel. Today we could say that if Jesus was here, you wouldn't find him down at the bar or a dance club, or a rock concert. He went to a wedding once, but it was a Jewish wedding. This wasn't like a, like a 21st century American debauched wedding. It wasn't like that. A drunkard would not find themselves at home at a Jewish wedding. Now, I know that there's going to be people who contend that say that Jesus turned the water into wine, but I maintain that what Jesus produces illuminates the mind. It doesn't intoxicate the mind. Drunkenness never results from consuming what Jesus gives. You cannot have too much of what Jesus offers. I'm inclined to believe that there was very little to no alcohol present at that wedding because the fresh stuff was always set out first. And then what Jesus made, the master of the feast confused for even fresher than that. But that's another conversation lest I digress. The point is, is that Jesus is inclined towards those who are inclined to him. He said, if any man love me, I will love him and my father will love him. See, Jesus prefers the company of those who prefer him. It's that way even today. And Jesus said in Revelation, it's, this is in Revelation 1.13, it depicts a Christ who is in the midst of the candlestick. See, he's in, he's in the midst of his church. It's actually, it says, where two or more are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. See, he's, he still prefers the company of his brethren. Jesus will not teach a person who's not left all to follow him. He said, Unless a person hates his father and mother and wife and children, yea, even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. He said, those of you who have not forsaken all that they have cannot be my disciple. And those of you who do not take up their cross and follow me, said, you cannot be my disciple. Well then, why did he not come to call the righteous? What did he mean when he told the Pharisees, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Was he saying that the Pharisees were whole and that they weren't sick? Is that what he was saying? Is, was he saying that the Pharisees were righteous 
Is that what he was saying? Was he saying that they were whole and righteous and not sinners? These men, these men that he's already called whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. That's what he called them. They were the greatest sinners of all. These people sought to kill and crucify the Lord of glory. The reality is, is that all men need Jesus. Without Christ, there is none righteous. No, not one. That's, see, that's the assessment of mankind outside of Christ. And it's something that the law proved. God gave a righteous and a holy law. And what did we find out? We found out that mankind didn't do what God said to do, and he did what God told us not to do. That, that was the, that, see, and that proved. That proved that there was a major disconnect between the human race and a righteous and a holy God. We found that out. The law found us out. It found us to be at variance with a righteous and holy God. It proved, it proved that we were all under sin. There's proof. When mankind stands before the judgment, there's proof already right now that he was under sin. We have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. Notice the universal terms here. There's none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Well, brethren, I know people today who have an understanding of the things of God. I know people today who seek after God. What does that mean? God's working. God's doing something. Not man. Man didn't do anything to remedy this condition. God's doing something. He's come to call. Not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. While every person is under sin, not every person recognizes that they're under sin. Not every person who's enslaved to sin recognizes that they are enslaved to sin. That's, see, that's the nature of deception. That's the nature of being deceived. People who are deceived don't know that they're deceived, by the way. That's the nature of deception. Not everyone recognizes their need for a Savior. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. That those who perceive no need for him will not be called by him. Jesus did not come to call men who, after being exposed as a sinner, remain content to stay as they are. Who are not only content to live in their sin, but also claim to be in good standing with God. They're not only enslaved to sin, but they actually, they actually boast that they are righteous before God without Christ, is what he's talking about here. They have chosen to say they are righteous already without the need to come to Jesus, and this is what the Pharisees did. They said, our father is Abraham. They reckon their good standing with God based on their earthly lineage and the things they did for God. And they passed over the fact that they were entirely unmerciful 
their merciless assessment of these people could not be offset by all of the sacrifices that they had offered to God. Oh, you got to see this, brethren. A lifetime of sacrifice to God in tithes, in devotion to reading scripture. They read the scripture every Sabbath. They did a lot better than a lot of people do today with the Bible. They did this every Sabbath, read from sunup to sundown, read the scripture in the Sabbath. They did that in lengthy prayers. They would stand on the street corners and stand in the synagogues. They had lengthy prayers. Sounded really good to the people. But none of that could make up for their lack of mercy towards these penitents. That came to Christ. They looked upon these men. Who had come to Jesus. For what they had done in the past. Up to that point, And they were not provoked to consider. Why they had come to Jesus. Or what they were seeking. By going to him. These publicans and sinners. Came to Jesus no doubt. In the same manner. That the woman who washed the feet of Jesus did. She sought Jesus out. And when she found him. She fell at his feet, weeping, and washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. Simon the Pharisee did the same thing. He did the same thing that these Pharisees did here. He judged this woman by what she was known for and was unable to perceive her penitent heart. She, like these sinners and tax collectors who came to Jesus, could perceive that he had something that they sorely needed. They came to Jesus and Jesus said, He who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. See, a, a, a bruised reed will he not break, and a smoking flax will he not quench. This is Christ. They realized that they were miserable and wretched sinners. And were beckoned sweetly by the voice of Jesus who calls out to sinners, whosoever will. Whosoever will. They were hungry and thirsty for what Jesus had to offer. The prophet Isaiah declared, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now the the dispensation of the gospel was not full here. Christ had not ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit had not come. But brethren, I believe that some of these people that came to visit here were in that number at Pentecost. When, when, when a massive harvest was added to the church. See, they, they had these contrite hearts. They drew near. He's calling out today. Not to, the, not to those who are content to live in their sin. Jesus has nothing to offer to a person who is content to live as a sinner. But he calls to those who are sick of their sin and ashamed of it, who are bound by it, who don't want to continue in it, who've looked for every single way to stop doing what they're doing, but they can't figure out how to stop. Jesus has good news for you. Those sinners who come to Jesus do not stay sinners because that's what they desire from Jesus. Jesus calls them to repentance. He calls them out of darkness and into his marvelous light. See, that that really happens. It's not like a goal. 
It really happens. He's called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So a person that says that they know him and they walk in darkness, they're lying. They don't know him. He says, he who sins has not seen him, neither known him. Those sinners who come to Jesus do not stay sinners. He calls them to no longer follow the course of this world. They have a desire. They actually have a desire. When you're made new, you have a desire to sin no longer. There's a desire present there. The new creation is not willing to sin. It can't sin. They have a desire to forsake their sin and follow the Lamb whithersoever he goes at the expense of time at the expense of money family relationships careers even their own life on the earth itself he's calling sinners to repentance jesus did spend time with those who appeared to the tax collectors or appeared to the pharisees to be be merely tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners but they no longer wanted to be those things when they were with jesus They wrongly concluded that Jesus was the friend of sinners. That's what they said about him. That's what his enemies said about him, that he was the friend of sinners. They also called him a wine-bibber or a drunk in that same sentence. Jesus was just as much a drunk as he was a friend of sinners. When in reality, Jesus was busy delivering men from sin. That's why sinners were associated with Jesus Because he was busy delivering men from sin. He come to call them to repentance. He came for them to to extract them out of it. To pull them out of that. That's why he came. He didn't come to coddle it. He came to pull you out of it. Matthew was a tax collector. He was a tax collector. But after Jesus called him, he just said, this is what this was what Jesus is calling. Walked up, he said, follow me. That's all he said. And straightway, Jesus' word has power. Straightway, he got up and followed after him. He forsook the business of tax collection. He never looked back. He never like lapsed back into tax collecting. He forsook that. Jesus came to not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And in Christ, once a sinner comes to repentance, they are no longer a sinner. That word. A woman caught in the act of adultery was told, go and sin no more. Another man, after being healed, was told, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. A person who turns from sin and is forgiven and is made new in Christ is not called a sinner anymore. Today, a lot of people are saying things. A lot of people are saying things today like we're all sinners. But this, see, this is not an accurate way to speak about the people of God. It's just not. Consider what the scriptures say about sinner. Just consider this for me real quick. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Let the, here's Psalms 104.25. Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth and the wicked be no more. Here's Proverbs 13.21. Evil pursueth sinners, but to the righteous good shall be repaid. Here's Isaiah 128. 
And the destruction of the transgressors and of the sinners shall be together. And they that forsake the Lord shall be consumed. Isaiah 13, 9. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh cruel both with wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate and he shall he shall destroy the sinners thereabout of it amos 9:10 all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword shall die by the sword which say the evil shall not overtake nor prevent us john 9:31 now we know that god heareth not sinners But if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Now, if the scriptures tell us that God does not hear the prayers of sinners and that they are slated for destruction, then I do not want to identify with being a sinner when Jesus returns or when I stand at the judgment throne of God. This is why this is why. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. This is why. Because as long as you remain living in sin and identify with sinners, you're the object of God's wrath and not his blessing. There's, see, there's no, sac- there's no sacrifice for willful sin. When there's something that you know is wrong and you, and you do it anyway, after you've come to the knowledge of the truth, There's no sacrifice for that. There's no sacrifice for willing sin. Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Anyone who refuses to repent after being exposed to the truth of what they have done. See, there's no sacrifice for that sin. You'll die in your sin. See, the only hope for a person who was willing to sin is to become unwilling. That in this, that's exact. That's precisely what repentance is. Repentance is not only forsaking what you have done and turning from it and not doing it again, but changing your mind about what you did. In other words, if I could go back, I wouldn't have done that. I'm sorry that I did that. You become unwilling to sin. See, that's repentance. This is something that God himself gives. God has given us to repentance, brethren. He's made us unwilling. He's made us willing in the day of his power, and he's made us unwilling to sin. This is something that God himself gives. See, you can't, repentance doesn't come by like a routine. Like, repeat this phrase after me, and then you'll be, no, there has to be a very real, there has to be, it has to affect your understanding about what is sin what is right, what is wrong, what is holy, what God requires, and what you are. Godly sorrow is the catalyst for all of this. You need to be sorry for what you did to the point where if you could go back in time and make a different choice, you would. And see, it's that confession in truth, not not just with the lips, but of a humble and a contrite heart that the Lord has respect unto. And it's this precise kind of confession that is mentioned in the scripture when it says, if we confess our sins. Now, it's, this, it's not just, and, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this, now you have to forgive me. This is, 
you're confessing that what you did was wrong and that it was sin and that you know it and that you, if I could take it back, I would. See, this, there, there's a, the heart is involved in repentance, not just the intellect. It is true that we were all sinners and we do not forget that we were. We do not forget that apart from Jesus Christ, we possess no merit of our own. We have not forgotten that in us, that is in our flesh, dwells no good thing. We don't forget that we are wretched apart from Christ. But we do not forget what Christ has accomplished and who we are in him. We don't forget that either. We are not sinners anymore. The people of God are righteous. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners... So by the obedience of one, Jesus Christ, shall many be made righteous. You have to be made righteous. And in salvation, God is making men righteous. I'm not a sinner because Jesus has taken away my sin and made me a new creation and gave me a new heart. And now I live differently than I did before. I'm not the same. I'm not saying that I'm without sin. We're not, when we're saying that we're not sinners, we're not saying that we're without sin. And that we've obtained absolute perfection because we live in a body that's a vile body in which is written the law of sin and death on these members. And we're not saying that we're without sin. We're saying that we're, a, we're different than we were before. We're not who we used to be. We're not what we want to be yet, but praise God, we're not who we used to be, see? We live by faith. We abide in Christ. We trust God. We lean on his understanding. Not by rote. Not by a procedure. This is a new and a living way. We live in this. This is who we are. We offer up our bodies as living sacrifice to him. Sin is not our default anymore. When the body wants to default the sin, you've got another part of you that defaults the righteousness. And the flesh wars against the spirit. And the spirit wars against the flesh. And you can't do what you used to. You can't. The flesh isn't at liberty like it used to be. Even when you're tempted. And even at times of weakness, when we're caught off guard and we sin. The flesh can't take you as far as it used to because there's something else. There's something else that wars against it. And the, and the spirit, we can't go, would be to God that we never had to contend with sin ever again. That we never had to contend with that. That we could only think about God all the time and only, only do righteousness all the time without hindrance, without having to fight, without having to wear armor. But there's this, see, there's this thing that's contrary to us that wars against our spirit. But one day it's going to be gone. <laughs> one day that's going to be gone. It's not going to be here anymore. Real followers of Jesus live up to what they know. If they sin, they do not continue in it. They confess it and forsake it. Among those who are pressing in for the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, who are sojourning in this present evil world, sin is becoming more and more the exception and less and less the norm. We as children of God are not willing to sin. And we, when, when we do become aware that sin has occurred or is present, we are not willing for that sin to remain, but forsake it and confess it to God. Praise God for such a provision as that. 
Praise God for such an arrangement as that. Let us be among the ones who are always aware of such a... See, we're always aware of our need for Christ. There's never a, there will never be a point in this life or in the life after where, where we can say, oh, okay, well, we're good enough. We don't need Christ anymore. God forbid. We're, we need him. We need him every hour, like the hymn writer wrote. I need thee every hour. If you're hearing this today, and you know you're not right with God, Jesus is calling you to repentance. Will you answer the call and come to him? He will, along with his people, not cast you out, but will lift you up. He came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And are you believing in him today, brethren? Are you trusting in him? Are you leaning the weight of your soul on him? Then you're with good company, for Jesus prefers his own. Jesus ate with his disciples while he sat down there at meat. Many sinners came from miles and were welcomed there to eat. And the Pharisees who saw it asked why he ate with sinners. But Jesus overheard their thoughts and he answered those pretenders. It's not the whole who need healing, but just the sick and broken. And if they saw their sinfulness, they'd hear what he had spoken. But they had prided all themselves and all their goodly actions and tithing, praying, sacrifice, yet mercy never happened. They judged these men for what they'd done and not for why they came there, and in so doing never saw that they were worse than they were. So Jesus told them plain as day, I do not call the righteous, for they could see no need of him, not saying they were pious. Jesus, he calls the worst of us, but calls us to repentance. To those who won't admit their sin, he speaketh not one sentence. Praise God for Jesus calling us, us sinners, to repentance. And that he will not cast us out, but made for us an entrance. We know that we aren't perfect yet. But now this one thing is plain. We aren't the sinners we once were. Not the same as when we came. Thank you, brethren, and thank the Lord for the Jesus who came to save sinners. I'd like to open up the floor for comments or discussion. Brother Robert. Yeah, I I appreciate this message tonight. This message highlighted the power of the gospel. See, the gospel, if you just walk with Christ and believe the gospel, you'll find yourself in different circumstances that you really can't manage on your own. But Christ is at the right hand of God, and you believe the gospel, you believe he's working in you, and um, we can have the heart of Jesus. When we look at sinners, when we look at people that are, we can have his heart. Amen. And we can, that's how, how we are seeking, just like Jesus is seeking, but he's, he's using his people. Amen. His people are out there talking about, living out what it means to be a believer, and um, I'm not ashamed of the cross of Christ. Amen. Amen. Some of the most sensitive people Mm -hmm. that I have met 
to the reception of the gospel in this generation have been some of the some people that you would never think just by looking at them on the outside. You would never think. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a living example of that, but I, I give thanks that it's that way. That the, the Lord has hidden these things from the wise and prudent, and, uh-huh. and He's delivered them unto babes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. Brother David. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. And those people who used to be sinners who did repent and came to Him, He gave them a new heart and new desires and took away their desire to sin. And it uh, describes it this way in uh, Acts chapter. 3, verse 26. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. So he, he took our sin away, and then he turned us away from our iniquities so that we no longer want to do the things that we used to. We uh, used to enjoy doing that, and then when other people were doing it, we enjoyed hearing about what they did or watching what they did or thinking about what they did. And it was, but now he's turning us away from our iniquities. We're not uh, the same people we used to be. Yeah. Amen. Amen. It says that there uh, in the. Uh, I'll read the scripture. First Corinthians chapter six, nine through eleven. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit? the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, yes. nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, mm-hmm. nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And here's the, here's the blessing right here. Mm-hmm. And such were yeah, some of you, yeah. but ye are washed. Amen. Sanctified, Amen. Justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So that was a. We used to be sinners, but He's changed us. Amen. He's washed us and sanctified us, justified us. We have peace with God, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just amazing what He's done. Amen. Amen. A new heart and a new life. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brethren. Mm-hmm. Sister Lita has our uh, song for the Lord's Day.